Welcome to another episode of the Carnal Extremities Podcast, a horror podcast that covers quote-unquote extreme movies and quote-unquote extreme music. As always, I am one of your hosts, Raina Cervantes, and joining me is... I'm your other host, Vanna. Thank you once again for joining me this week after a bevy of technical issues. (laughs) Yeah, we're... uh... We're we're making it. We're we're learning as we go, but we're making it. Yeah, we're we're not feeling too good, Mister Stark, <laughs> given the <laughs> issues we had tonight. Um, regardless, this is the start for a special little series of episodes. When did she say? Yeah, this is a very special, near and dear little series of episodes. For those of you wondering what makes all of this so special, we were graciously given the opportunity to guest program and host a series of screenings at Alamo Draft House, Los Angeles. Um, we got to pick four films and we uh, got them programmed. We're also introducing them and we're recording a live podcast at the Bar Video Vortex that's there. Yeah, how do you feel about that, Vanna? I am so excited. It's very nerve-wracking. First time I'm doing anything like this, but that's what makes it so exciting. And I know we both love Alamo, so it's like extra special, I guess you could say. Yeah, it literally started because I... You know, I love Alamo Drafthouse LA. I also used to go to the former Phoenix locations uh, back in the day. And earlier this year, got to experience the South Lamar location in Austin, Texas. So I've always been a fan of the theater itself. Um, And I kind of just like sent him an email going like, would you guys be interested in letting us do this? Um, Given Saw X is coming out, maybe fans want like a chance to see some extreme horror on the big screen that they've never seen and it just it it turned into me and vanna going back and forth trying to pick movies that both reflected us and our tastes yeah it was such a fun process like coming up with a list of films and then narrowing it down adding more films just yeah it was a very fun little process for us i think yeah at first it started off with a couple texts and then it evolved into like okay i have to call you because we got to get in, into think tank mode and then it turned into like hour-long conversations about stuff um i'm very comfortable in what we chose like the final four yeah i think each film like comes from a very specific subset of horror that I think like each of them are very like near and dear to our hearts um so it's like a fun little like I don't know like grab bag of everything that makes us us if that makes sense no yeah definitely um you know we got we got a slasher movie we have a Cronenberg movie we have a French extremity film we have a Japanese extreme film. We we try to cover as many bases as we can. First base, second base, third base, home. Um, and, you know, there's one in particular that we booked that my jaw kind of hit the floor the moment I was notified that we got it. 
Yeah, I if I'm thinking of the same one, which I'm pretty sure I am. Um, mm-hmm. The French also one. Also <laughs> very excited. Yeah, f- yeah, of course, you know. I love me some French extremity. That one is going to be a really extra special screening, I think. Um, and I guess once we are able to maybe announce more about it, people will find out why. Oh, yeah. They're going to be super into it. I'm super into it. I'm excited. I'm thankful we have the opportunity to also record in front of a live crowd. Don't know how big that crowd is going to be, but still, you know, not many podcasts get to do that. We get to put guest programmers and hosts uh, on our resumes now. Yeah, I think uh, we're the coolest kids on the block. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So this next series of episodes is going to be on the films that we're presenting at Alamo Drafthouse Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for everyone to kind of hear what we have curated. Like, I think some of them are going to be a little maybe out of left field or maybe not the first thing you think of when you think of our podcast. But um, I'm, it's, I'm pretty excited, especially this first one. It's kind of a kind of a doozy. Yeah, with, you know, without delaying it any further, what do you say we hop right into this one? Let's do it. So this week's film we're covering is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre dot 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 part two from 1986 directed by Toby Hooper written by L.M. Kit Carson who is the writer of Paris, Texas I must add. The film stars Dennis Hopper, Caroline Williams, Jim Saito, and Bill Mosley. The film follows chainsaw-wielding maniac Leatherface as he is up to his cannibalistic ways once again, along with the rest of his twisted clan, including the equally disturbed Chop Top. This time, the mass killer has set his sights on pretty disc jockey Vanita Stretch Brock, who teams up with Texas lawman Lefty Enright to battle the psychopath and his family deep within their lair, which is a macabre, abandoned amusement park. Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Chainsaw Massacre 2. The Buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, Vanna, gut check time. What do you think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2? I think it is a silly, fun time. I don't really know how else to describe it. It's just bonkers. Mm -hmm. Bonkers is probably the best way. Um, I just... I love everything about it. It's silly, but it's still our guy's Leatherface and Chop Top. It's 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 a fun time for sure. It it feels like Toby Hooper took the camera after filming the first one and pointed it towards them and went, "Okay, now let's do a silly one." 
Yeah, it's like, um, it cranks it up to 11, to say the least. Do you have, like, any memories of viewing this one for for the first time? Like, what were your first thoughts when you saw it? And, you know, how drastically different it is from the first one? I I don't really remember my first viewing, per se. But I do remember being blindsided, I guess. Um, Not at all what I expected from the first sequel to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I did have such a fun time though and I absolutely love Stretch. She's probably one of my favorite final girls like ever. Like so yeah, I I definitely enjoyed it, but I was definitely not sure what I was in for when I went into it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my experience viewing this for the first time ever as well. Um, I think it was around 2006, 2007, and MGM released this movie on DVD with um, a cover that like imitated a Saw movie. Like it was a white background with like a bloody chainsaw on the ground. I don't know if you really remember that cover. Yeah, I definitely remember going to our local video store and seeing that on the shelf and being like, what is that? I want to know what that is. <laughs> Literally, that's what happened with me. Uh, me and my childhood best friend, uh, we went to Hollywood Video one day and saw it. And I was like, oh, cool. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I know what this is. And, you know, I hadn't seen part two. I just figured it was more of the same. And then, holy shit, I start watching it. And it's like the total antithesis of, like, Hooper's original, like, the original's like slow building tension minimal gore and the second one is just like loud in your face super bloody and like oddly hilarious yeah i i think i've seen it described as an anti-sequel um it's not a parody but it almost feels like it's parodying the first film um which honestly I think is an amazing way to do a sequel because sometimes I think, I guess maybe especially nowadays, like it might've been different in 1986, but like nowadays it's just, there's so much pressure to make a sequel or people try to capture a certain lightning in the bottle um, and it falls short or something like that. So I think just doing something totally different um, is a good way to succeed in a sequel. Yeah, a hundred percent. Before we dive like a little bit deeper into this movie, we have to talk how the fuck did this movie even get made and how it <laughs> is so drastically different from the first one. Um so picture this if you will. I'm gonna take you back to the year nineteen seventy four. Like right now, literally, like drive over to my house, I have a time machine. We're going back. Um maybe not, but whatever. Um it's 1974 texas chainsaw massacre comes out and like has an instant legacy as being this like horrifying piece of like horror cinema that nobody's ever seen before it's grimy it's gory it's disgusting it's terrifying people and you know toby hooper and kim hankel were like how do how do we build on this how do we do a sequel well, Kim Hankel, the writer, had this had this concept for a sequel where uh, it would follow a whole town 
of cannibals and it was titled beyond the valley of the texas chainsaw massacre and they wanted to at first make it like almost right away but it never happened due to budgetary reasons and i i find it interesting that right out of the gate with the first sequel that the follow-up was always going to be drastically different from what we got in the first one yeah it definitely sounds ambitious <laughs> um it's uh it doesn't seem at all like what you would expect to be a direct sequel to the original film but um yeah that's a really interesting concept it almost makes me think of like that recent wrong turn film where it was like this little secret society or something like oh, that oh yeah um which yeah, like kind of interesting which like fun fact that wrong turn reboot was done by the writer of the original film so it it's like once again a creator of something just spinning a concept that you're used to on its head yeah interesting um so anyway that movie doesn't get made you know for numerous reasons and many years go by we're now into the 80s where everything is loud everything's excessive the yuppie lifestyle is on the rise and canon films of all people rise to the occasion to produce a texas chainsaw sequel now for people that don't know canon is known for like they're like cheap 80s action movies and films like break in and break into electric boogaloo um they did ninja ninja three the domination you know they were kind of doing whatever they could get their hands on so they get the rights to do a sequel to texas chainsaw massacre and they do the smartest play that i think any studio has ever done let's bring back the creator to do the follow-up um so they recruit hooper to come back and uh and they ask him you know do the sequel for us and hooper has a different mindset when it comes to the sequel um he decides to focus on the black comedy elements that he claims were in the first movie yeah interesting i feel like almost everyone disagrees with him on the first one being a comedy um i definitely see the comedic elements like there are a lot of lines that are very funny um but i don't I still don't think I would label it a comedy, like, quote-unquote. Um, so it's just funny that he thinks. Like, I know it's supposed to, I guess, thematically be a satire of certain things. But again, that, that's still very different from, like, the label comedy. Um, so it's funny that with his sequel, he's like, all right, well, if you didn't think it was a comedy, here's... I'm going to turn it up to 11 and give you something that's off the wall. <laughs> I almost have to wonder if it's like this weird brand of like boomer humor where it's like, oh, haha, look at all these hippies in the original Texas Chainsaw movie. Aren't they stupid? Don't you just want to see them die in like horrible ways? And he, he like carries it over with the 80s and it's like, oh, here's this parody of 80s excess and this yuppie lifestyle that people are like rising to the occasion for. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting because yeah, in that way, it definitely brings Texas Chainsaw into the '80s. Um, you know, uses some things that definitely call to, like you said, like that yuppie culture and 
and things like that. So I think that's another thing that's really interesting about it. It didn't try, it did not in any way try to just be the original one again or use any of the same um, aesthetics again. It's just like it's totally own thing, which I which love. Is- which is wild that like canon wanted a sequel that was just like replicating the original and toby basically like throws up his middle finger he's like ah no fuck you i'm gonna do my own thing yeah which again i actually really respect um i think that just makes it so fun and and in that way because even though there are some flaws like you can't really like hold it too much against the film because i'm just so in awe and like having so much fun with it precisely precisely it's almost like a proto rob zombie movie right when did you say so yeah i think on my initial viewing that's one of the things that really clicked like seeing it was like figuring out a key ingredient in my own film tastes um because i'm such a big zombie fan um and i like a lot of these films that are calling back to these 70s and 80s films, um, that it felt really familiar when I watched it. Like, you're watching it and you're like, there's no way that this is not inspiring uh, films like House of Thousand Corpses, um, which there are still things about it that very much in my mind are like, yeah, this is definitely an ode to the original Texas Chainsaw, but then there are so many campy things that I'm like, oh yeah, the... Texas Chainsaw Part 2, like, it has, it just has a certain je ne sais quoi. I don't know. Like, it has that really campiness that, like, someone like Zombie and other things, other directors um, really pull from, which makes sense for the 80s also. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's got the, it's got the, what's the word? It's got that, it's got that moxie. It's like the, the moxie chainsaw massacre in a way yeah definitely um so anyway toby hooper makes this movie he presents it to canon and canon basically looks at it and goes what the fuck is this um which i assume was everybody's reaction to this movie at the time um i want to dive a little more into like expectations of sequels because i feel like that's what threw everybody off with this movie like you have the first one which is like the seminal piece and then you have this that's like a total 180 like say you watch it in a marathon you have the first movie that sort of sets the standard and then two throws it all out the window do you like how part two takes its sequel approach or do you think they should have gone the route of imitating the first one it's a tricky question within the specific context of this film I kind of like the approach of just kind of remixing it, like unwinding what Texas Chainsaw is and putting it back together in a different way. Just because um, when something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or some of my favorite films like Halloween and things like that, like sometimes when a specific film or maybe a specific character within the film means so much to people then when you're trying too hard to exactly recreate that then it's 
way easier to find all of the little gaps and to nitpick something. Um, whereas with some of some sequels where they are um, something like this or I don't know, things that are considered uh, maybe in the remake uh, category, like something that's a reimagining or within the same universe as and things like that. Like, because it's very clear from the get-go that they're trying to do something different, you're not sitting there nitpicking um, little details or little things that, like, they didn't do or they didn't keep from your favorite movie. I think when it comes to these properties and works of art and characters and things that are all just, like, so near and dear to people, like, sometimes I think while you might think going out of left field is like a blasphemy or something. Sometimes I think it actually works better than trying to like recreate so closely something. Cause then it's just like, then you can just see all the holes in it. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but um, no, it does. Different franchises. I have different types mm-hmm. of sequels that I like, but this one specifically I, I like because then it, it doesn't, seek to try to touch the original Texas Chainsaw or sully it in any way. It just, they can both exist as their own things and, and that's okay. (laughs) You know, for the longest time, this was the movie that Dennis Hopper said was the worst movie he made in his career. You know, it's so funny. I did not realize this was 1986 and you and I went to a Dennis Hopper 1986 double feature at the New Bev, which was Blue Velvet and River's <gasps> Edge. Were those and I was 86? Like, they totally c- yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a 1986 Dennis Shut Hopper double feature. Up. They t- They could have totally done a triple feature and <laughs> stuck this oh at the end. My. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of the trailers during that screening was for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I I think it was because I think that's where I glanced over to you and I was like, oh, is this theme of the double feature of fucking Dennis Hopper? Yeah, so yeah, that's really I I, like I forgot that he was in it um, on this rewatch because it had been like quite a while since I watched this one. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we could that. The new Bev could have done a triple feature, a little marathon of 1986 Dennis Hopper movies. And then I, my next thought was, wow, he made a lot of movies in one year. But I think, you know, that's a little <laughs> bit more how show business was back then, maybe. But it's just really funny. He's such an icon. Like, Yeah, he took some buck wild roles that year. You have Frank in Blue Velvet. You have um, his role in River's Edge, and then you have Lefty in Texas Chainsaw 2, and they're just, like, the most out-of-left-field roles for somebody who had done a movie like Easy Rider. Yeah, the the man has range, I guess. <laughs> it's just so fun. Um, But him saying that it was, like, the worst movie he ever made in his career goes to show that that this movie is not genuinely as beloved as the first one i think i think it has a very big audience which is why i wanted to program it for alamo and and i do think that everybody who is a fan of it is a very strong fan of it but i swear that the original is one of those horror movies that's just universally loved by even people who don't love horror yeah i don't know if i really know anyone who doesn't 
like it. Even if it's not even their typical types of movies that they like to watch or even horror fans where like that's not really the kind of horror that they're into like I think everyone can just recognize that it's just such a wonderful piece of cinema that everyone just agrees that it's it's a good one which doesn't happen too often especially not anymore (laughs) you have a favorite moment with this with this entry not I almost said the series but no I'm like do you have a favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two moment and can you define what makes this movie a little more extreme than other horror films? I, um, I mean, a couple of my favorite moments are probably favorites for most fans of this film, which I think both play into, um, what I would consider to be, um, extreme or, um, the things that might shock audiences. Um, the first one is, uh, like, right from the get-go, my favorite thing, which is why Stretch is my favorite, one of my favorite final girls, is that she puts on someone's skin to, like, you know, survive. <laughs> like, I don't, like, that moment, I think that's one of those things that kind of tips it into... Um, maybe some extreme territory as far as, like, gore, like, seeing, um, I forgot his name, but seeing him, like, without his face skin on while she's, like, putting his skin on, um, like, we all knew Leatherface and the Sawyers, like, ate people and that we all knew his mask was made of skin, but, um, something about seeing, like, freshly skinned Mm-hmm. people is a little bit um tips it a little bit into the gorier side but it's just one of those things about stretch that makes her one of my favorite final girl like how many people trying to survive a horror movie would think like oh maybe i should put on my friend's skin i i, I don't know <laughs> i i mean shit stranger things have happened in movies no i'm kidding but that for the time that that's wild especially like like you said watching the first one like you know the sawyers and leatherface do these fucking heinous acts but you never see it really happen on screen yeah again like it it just it kind of tips it over just a little notch um my other favorite moment i guess would be the um you know the little moment that stretch and leatherface share um with the chainsaw um, it's like a weirdly sexual encounter between her and and Leatherface, um, and I think that kind of it ma- it makes it makes it a little silly, but it also is something that would probably make a lot of people really uncomfortable. Like he's kind of like um, like the the chainsaw is definitely like a phallic symbol. Like uh, l- like at, let's be at real, he, here he's jacking off with the chainsaw essentially in this scene. <laughs> Yeah, like, first into the cooler of beers, and then, like, you know, a- across Stretch's legs, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very direct, um, you know, like, there's a lot of talk about, um, slashers, and, like, the, the phallic symbology of the weapons, and things like that when it comes to slasher films, but this is, like, very direct, like, <laughs> it's very obviously purposefully using 
the chainsaw that way, not in a symbolic, like, you know, the wound way. It's, it's a, it's really interesting. I don't know. Like he, um, yeah, definitely shares a very tender moment with Stretch and I think that's a really fun scene. Meanwhile, Chop Top's like down there, like yelling (laughs) about whatever, you know, (laughs) listen, dog will hunt. (laughs) Yeah, that that's another thing. I absolutely love Bill Mosley in this, and he's just an amazing Chop Top, even though he's a very different Chop Top from the original. Um, it's just so fun and interesting, and his he's just he's just a silly guy. I don't know. Yeah, he's just, you know, a caricature of the hitchhiker from the original film, who they lovingly call his corpse Nubbins. Nubbins. which is like pretty great um i want to go back to that chainsaw scene it's like it, the scene ends where like leatherface like climaxes and then he proceeds to just destroy the room around him yeah i love first of all he entered the room by like busting through the wall like like the kool-aid man or something I mean, it's just such a chaotic scene also i like before that there's like a little jump scare when they're, they're like in the record vault and he, like chop top turns on the light that's and right slight little jump scare leatherface coming right at you which is great it's just gold you know hooper knows how to do jump scares because i always think of the jump scare in the original film where they're pushing franklin through the woods and leatherface pops out <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah, there's some, definitely some good little scares. In a movie that's considered so campy and, and silly and unserious, there are still those little moments where you get get some scares. I like the opening scene on the bridge with the two yuppie drivers in the car. Um, and Leatherface proceeds to jump out of the car and taunt them and saw that one dude's head in half and you see it, like, fall off. Yeah, it's, uh... It is so, like, it's a very, like, jarring image, like, the way he moves, because it's, like, a full-on corpse, like, attached to his body, that the way it moves is so unnatural, and it's just such an interesting... So I, yeah, it's it's yeah. wild. I don't know. I love yeah. it though. Yeah, you you get so many complaints about the original that like, oh, nobody really died from a chainsaw except maybe Franklin. And this one, like, people are being stabbed in the stomach, chopped in the head. Like, they really put that yeah, chainsaw to the use. Top in of this that film. guy's skull comes off in this one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like he's straight up like scalped with a chainsaw, like for better or worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I love about it. I love a Texas Chainsaw movie where they use that chainsaw to great effect and just decide to go absolutely buck wild with it. I wish more would, to be honest. Yeah, it's just like the right way to go, I think. Um, Some sequels, uh, not just in this, not particularly in this franchise, but just in general, sometimes maybe take themselves a little too seriously. but it's fun that it can be super fun and yet like way gorier than the original. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a, it's a special, it's a special film. Do you have any final thoughts on it? I don't know. I just, it's so fun. And again, like we kind of talked about, um, like influences on filmmakers like Rob Zombie and stuff, which again, like we have Bill Mosley, who is a frequent Rob Zombie, uh, 
cast member. Um, I think this specific role um, plays a lot in that. Like, I think visually, um, like, <laughs> visually, like, Otis looks a lot like uh, Chop Chop does in the, like, in House of a Thousand Corpses. Obviously, when you go into Devil's Rejects, it's a little different, but, like, he's, like, got white face paint on and, and things like that. It's just really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Also, the chili contest, I have to, I have to bring that up. I, I, that's another thing I think that maybe brings up maybe the extremity level, like not just that this family eats people, but they theoretically have been feeding competitions of people chili made out of people, um, which I think is fun. I also grew up going to chili cook-offs, so that's also a fun little personal connection I have with this film. Um, you got you got to watch out for them whole peppercorns. <laughs> yeah, um, which is fun as a vegan. Like I have my own like fun chili recipe. Um, vegan chili, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, there, science has gone a long way with fake meat. Um, <laughs> it's just scientists yeah. in a lab. Like, yes, we can now make vegan chili. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, most people would never know that my chili is not, uh, real meat, so. Um, Ooh, it's human well, yeah. meat. <laughs> it's yeah. Something, Mis- it's something different. My new different. mystery meat chili. <laughs> Which is really fun, uh, like, to think about, too, like, just with Texas Chainsaw in general, like, thinking about, like, even though it, it doesn't play, like, a typical cannibal film, like, the at its core it's about cannibals and that's pretty extreme like regardless um even if it's a fun fun silly movie like that's campy like if you just constantly are remembered that at the end of the day it's about a family of cannibals you're like oh yeah this is like this is pretty crazy i also want to just shout out the the guy at the hardware store that when uh dennis hopper's lefty is <laughs> testing the chainsaw I was going goes, to bring this up oh my aching banana <laughs> like <laughs> i think i'm gonna have to start like, saying that now <laughs> like if you watch this movie and you don't laugh i'm just like what, what's wrong with you it's it's just a silly like vibe type of movie like Yes, you got your Texas Chainsaw movies that are serious. You got your Platinum Dune remakes. You got three. You got one. But, you know, sometimes we deserve a little silly one as a treat. Yeah, I think every franchise has to have some of those in there. So, yeah, just love it overall. It's a, it's a good time. <laughs> Definitely. Um which leads us into our second topic. Vanna, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, so this week, uh, the album that we are pairing up with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 is The War of Art by American Head Charge. So American Head Charge was born out of a chance meeting in rehab between vocalist Cameron Heacock and bassist Chad Hanks. The Minneapolis-based industrial metal collective matched their brutally executed music with their on- and off-stage behavior. The War of Art 
was specifically recorded at Rick Rubin's allegedly haunted recording studio, The Mansion in beautiful Laurel Canyon in LA and California. The title itself is a play on words uh, from the book The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And the album landed American Head Charge a spot at OzFest 2001. So that's a pretty big, uh, that's a pretty big gig for them. Their concerts featured some controversy, though, due to the band firing shotguns and burning American flags on stage. Interesting. (laughs) The live version of the song Reach and Touch appears on the album OzFest 2001, The Second Millennium, and a live version of Seamless appears on the album Pledge of Allegiance Tour live concert recording. And they had music videos released for the singles, just so you know, and all wrapped up. So, um, since that time, the band wasn't active from 2007 to 2011, when Hank stated that drugs had once again become an obstacle for the band, with Hanks himself claiming to have become sober again in winter 2007, while Cameron Heacock waited until April 2008 to attend a treatment facility in California. And during this time, Cameron found himself in a writer's block that would uh, cause him to leave the band, though um, they would rejoin years later. Um, And then on November 12, 2017, founding bass member Chad Hanks died at the age of 46 after being diagnosed with a terminal illness. On April 11th, 2018, vocalist Cameron Heacock was arrested in Costa Mesa, California, while driving an allegedly stolen van full of stolen items, including over a dozen guitars, nine of which were uh, lifted from the Guitar Center in Fountain Valley, um, and a stolen motorbike, and more items were also found in the van. That is just absolutely wild. The band was set to tour in 2020, but COVID-19 postponed those shows and they have not been active since. So that's a lot of shenanigans going on from this band. Um, (laughs) That is literally a a band of shenanigans. (laughs) Yeah, like right from the get-go, you know? So uh, I guess, uh, do you want to elaborate on maybe why this was the choice to pair with this film? Yeah, I chose it because I recently discovered this band and a lot of their imagery is very like patriotic. A lot of American flags, military tanks, like assault rifles, like literally they're out here firing shotguns on a stage. And to me, (laughs) it kind of reminded me of Texas and how much pride people have over there and how rootin' tootin' and shootin' they are (laughs) with uh, when it comes to gun rights. I don't know, it was just something that spoke to me when I was listening to this album this week and thinking about what to pair up with this movie. Uh, 2001, this is like towards like the tail end of the new metal boom. So, you know, new metal was popular, but it wasn't crazy popular. It was kind of dying out. And American Head Charge were still one of those bands that was playing new metal um, with like the rap style vocals. And, and I... Listen, I'm going to be frank. American Head Charge is not that unique of a band. Um, The War of Art, I keep saying the art of war, but like the War of Art is a very very by the numbers album, but it's pretty solid. You know, 
like unfortunately the song uh never get caught is on my daily playlist as of late because i like how gruesome mm-hmm. and violent the lyrics are and to me that song is straight up from the pr- perspective of either a serial killer or a serial rapist and the violent acts he describes in that song like oh you're you're sliding around in the mess that you spilled from when i hit you in the head it's just like all that graphic imagery just really kind of lines up with like how over the top texas chainsaw massacre part two is am i making sense here or am i just going off 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 the rails here yeah no i think like texas chainsaw is definitely about this like grotesque like contorted version of americana so i think like kind of like you mentioned like some of the imagery of the band and and things like that kind of paired with their lyrics and stuff it kind of it gives that same like grim altered or, or a very uh a dark version of i guess american it's culture, it's like a, a skewed call it that <laughs> like literally a skewed version of american culture and americana like take the foundations that it was built upon and just like run buck wild with them yeah which i I, is very much texas chainsaw very much texas chainsaw part two um yeah it's 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 definitely like a solid album is they're definitely like a solid band like any new metal playlist like it definitely would fit in it would belong there um it's definitely not like pushing boundaries this is like my first uh i had never heard of them other than i've probably heard them like by proxy like listening to other new metal bands or even like um the fact that they're at ozfest like my my parents regularly listen to different ozfest like albums (laughs) so um you know, I've probably maybe heard them before, but not knowingly. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it didn't like push its way up to like a favorite band or like ahead of any of the other new metal bands that I, uh, listened to, but it, it definitely still like, it was fun to listen to some, you, you can really jam along to it. it. It's, you know, definitely not like bad by any means. And, um, it definitely earns its place on any, um, playlist that i have so so that was fun it was a fun little listen and i listened to it in between my watch of texas chainsaw and texas chainsaw part two um earlier today uh since we are recording this on texas chainsaw massacre day um, whoa, whoa! So yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it was fun it was fun to like watch the movie and then like you know listen to this album and then like kind of get in that like headspace and then watch texas chainsaw part two and just have guns a blasting chainsaws a revving (laughs) the american flag is flying (laughs) like yeehaw it was a fun old time yeehaw we got the barbecue going um the video game also came out today and i got a copy of that you know we're on our texas chainsaw shit um yeah it's a great pairing like the more i think about it the more i'm like hell yeah i would totally recommend this pairing um on a closing note i'm just completely honored we get to present this movie at alamo draft house for a crowd of enthusiastic fans 
Yeah, I'm really excited. This seems like it's going to be a really fun, like, theater watch because it's so silly. And I, you know, if the fans show out, like, there's going to be people cheering or clapping and laughing. Like, that's, um, it's definitely something that is, like, a great, like, movie night watch. So I'm really excited to be able to experience that with a bunch of other awesome horror fans. I've also never seen it on the big screen. Yeah, I've never seen it on the big screen either. I think the first time I remember, like, my, like one of the first recent watches I did was probably either on, like, Tubi or it was on Shudder for a little while. Um, it's on Max right now. But, yeah, so, like, I definitely never thought I would have a chance to go to a screening, let alone host the screening of it. Um, so that's going to be really fun. I can't wait. All righty, Vanna, where can everyone find you online? Well, if, uh, people have been listening along since we have, uh, pre-recorded quite a few episodes, uh, you may have noticed that my username had changed um, well before some of these episodes are starting to come out. So now you can find me uh, everywhere at Siren Death Cult. Uh, any social media you can think of, it's the same everywhere. Uh, my website is sirendeathcult.com. Um, I haven't been super active on there, but I'm starting uh, to get back writing some blog posts and things like that. But yeah, so Siren Death Cult anywhere, that's how you'll find me. You can find me at JFC Doomblade at pretty much any any and all social medias. Um, you can also find my work being published pretty regularly at your favorite horror sites. And uh, yeah, follow the pod at Carnal EX Pod. That's at Carnal EX Pod. The name didn't fit in the at. I'm so sorry. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, leave us a five-star rating on Apple. It gets us more visible. It allows us to do more. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you next week as we cover, drum roll, please, Ichi the Killer. We're excited for that one. Till then.